as we continue our Sunday morning series through the gospel according to John. We'll begin in chapter 12. For the last six messages, we've been considering verses 20 through 36. And we find Jesus foretelling of his death. More specifically, he's telling us his death upon the cross, which is going to be less than a week away from our text. If you'll look with me, let's read verses 34 through 41. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, Isaiah, which is Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Last week our focus was verses 32 through 34, where Christ said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. The Bible says he said this signifying what death he should die. It was clear in those days, just recapping here, that when a man would be lifted up, he would be crucified. In fact, in verse 34, they knew exactly what Christ meant because they replied, we've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How sayest thou that the Son of Man must be lifted up? And so they understood what he was saying. Now, verse 34 is interesting. And I believe that the tone of voice depends on who is asking the questions. Some say it is those who are genuinely seeking for answers, while others say it is the angry religious Jews that are there um, that are asking insultingly. Whichever the case, it really does not change the fact that they aren't quite connecting the dots. We've covered this a bit last week, so I won't dwell here, but they understand enough to say we've heard out of the law. And what we've heard is that Christ will abide forever, and you're saying he's going to have to die. And I think we all understand that line of, line of questioning in those days. We would be asking the same thing, I'm sure. But where I get a little confused is Jesus just said he would be lifted up. And they equate the Son of Man as being the one who must be lifted up. And it appears that they connect the Son of Man as being Christ. But then they ask, who is this Son of Man? Does anybody else see that? What, I'm probably just confused a bunch of you. You're like, I have no idea what you're seeing. But I, it looks kind of confusing to me that they're connecting some of, this, some of this, and yet they still ask, who's this Son of Man? 
why weren't they connecting the dots that Jesus, the Son of Man, and Christ were all one and the same? Those who see this line of questioning as coming from the angry religious Jews say that they are asking with the intent to disprove his Messiahship. Well, the law says that the Messiah would abide forever, and you call yourself the Messiah, the Son of Man, yet you're saying he must be crucified. Who does this Son of Man think he really is? You can't be the Messiah if you're going to be crucified. That's what they're saying, if that's that angle. Matthew Henry wrote, they would rather have no Christ than a suffering one. Those who see this more as a genuine line of questioning, uh, asking for truth, suggests that they are just asking to be instructed. Who is this Son of Man? Help us to understand how the law can say that Christ will abide forever, and yet you're saying He's going to have to die. I can't say dogmatically which is ever the, the case here, and uh, I don't yet have peace about all the finer details in these set of verses And I'm sorry I didn't get to study to the depth that you deserve. But um, back to these two questions. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You know what's interesting is we don't find Jesus giving an answer. (laughs) They ask this question, and yet Jesus isn't answering now. But as the ladies just sang... Three days after his death, the message would be loud and clear because he would arise victorious over death. And so there would be an empty tomb and the message would be preached. He would triumph over sin. Their questioning is because this was a head scratcher for people in those days. And it still is for many, especially those in the Middle East today. Why would this one who arrived as the Messiah be crucified? How can there be deliverance if the deliverer is dead? That's a fair question. (laughs) But they didn't fully understand the spiritual aspect of it all. They were very earthly minded as they are still in the Middle East today. And I understand, we understand the entire world is that way. But in Middle Eastern religions, they are still very earthly minded. Modern Judaism, so-called, is still looking for a Messiah that will bring them out from under Gentile dominance upon this earth. They are still hoping for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Though Muslims have a belief in heaven, they are pursuing their caliphate, where they can control political, religious ideologies of the peoples under their dominion. And their desire is to see that expand upon this earth. Do you see the earthly mindset that I'm talking about in both these cases? And understand that Muslims believe Jesus lived. They even believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. They believe he was a prophet. But what they refuse to accept, this so fits our text, they refuse to believe that he was ever crucified. But that instead of dying, he just ascended back up to heaven. Both Judaism and Islam have great difficulty in understanding that Jesus could be crucified if he was a prophet and a deliverer. Both religions, modern Judaism and Islam, were born out of the physical descendants of Abraham. 
Physically speaking, modern Judaism was well down the road in Isaac's line. Islam was well down the road in Ishmael's line. Is everybody okay this morning? Okay, I, I didn't know if you were paying attention or like, what is this guy talking about? Um, and just to be clear, when I say modern Judaism, I mean the Antichrist Judaism, which John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul preached against. That oral tradition that had replaced the Bible, the, the Talmud that they still choose today over the Word of God. So that's what I'm referring to. Now, what's interesting about this is we read of Abraham in Hebrews 11.10. I want you to start getting this. For he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We have these two earthly religions over there in in the Middle East, both seeking how to get some kind of better enjoyment out of this planet. And their father, Abraham was in search of a city. But listen to Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith. Referring to Abraham in that group. Listen, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And if truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I want you to understand this morning, God has something better in store for his children. God has something better than this present earth and her ungodly systems. Now, I thank God for America's founding fathers. And what made them great wasn't them trying to establish heaven on earth, but it was simply them trying to honor God while upon this earth. But as you can see in today's America, a system which started as America's did will only last so long as there are godly people in government. In fact, our founding fathers warned of the days in which we are living. They foresaw the day that America's sure footing would begin to crumble if we the people turned away from God. And while the religions of this world seek some semblance of heaven on earth, Christianity is the opposite. We know that we are pilgrims and strangers upon the earth. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For we have here no continuing city, but we seek one to come. One day Christ will come again, and He will straighten out this entire mess. And for a thousand years He'll rule and reign upon this earth, and then the day will come when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And in that day, the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven, from God, and God will dwell with us, and He will wipe away our tears, and there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away, and God will make all things new. 
And while both the physical lineages of Abraham are heavily focused upon this earth and how to make it a form of heaven on earth, God, through Christ, is reconciling sinners to himself. And Galatians 3 clearly teaches that those who now place their faith and trust in Christ are the spiritual children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. My hope isn't in this world. I said my hope isn't in this world. Uh, There's nothing here that's going to keep me chained to this earth. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Do I want to see the world a better place? Yes. Do I want to see America turn to godliness? Sure. But this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're not here to establish heaven on earth. We're here to win souls for the kingdom of, of God. And if enough souls were won upon this earth, then it would change America back to godliness. That's a fact. So Jesus doesn't answer the question, but Jesus gives a warning. Don't you love it when God has a funny way of answering your questions? He gives a warning, walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. Why? Because he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. Jesus continues in verse 36, while you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. And even though they're not quite there yet, I believe they're starting to see some things. They're starting to put it together. Because he says that ye may be the children of light. And as Jesus is giving this warning, he seems to be also giving them the encouragement to keep seeking after him. Keep seeking me. Keep walking in the light. Keep keep trying uh, to get these answers that you have. And perhaps we can make an application right here. We need to be very careful not to pick fruit out of season. Say, what do you mean? There are many times when we may be witnessing to somebody and we just want to get them to the point where they're going to pray a prayer. But there's got to be time to marinate in your sin, if you will, to understand and be convicted of that. Because here's what we do a lot of times. Hey, do you want to know for sure if you die today, if you go to heaven? Yeah, we'll pray this prayer. Congratulations, you're saved. Huh? Where's the crime against God? Where's the sin against God? Where's understanding that, you need, that you're a sinner and that you're lost and need to be saved? So I think we can make that application here. We've got to give space for the Holy Ghost to keep working in the heart to convince and convict of sin. The Bible teaches that Satan blinds the minds of the lost and that Satan seeks to snatch away the seed of the Word of God from the heart of the listener. And the admonition that Jesus gives is for us to just keep walking while the light is with you, lest darkness come upon you. So while we need to be careful not to force a decision, I also see here that there is a season when Jesus is reaching out to you to be saved. When Jesus is wanting you to call upon Him for salvation. But if you don't respond when He is calling, then you are in great danger of being left in darkness. That's what this passage says. Isaiah one eighteen says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet... They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
We love that passage. Don't you love that passage? (laughs) That the creator God would want to reason together with me to forgive me of my sins. But listen to what verse 20 says. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God is going to reason together with you about your need of salvation and the need for your sins to be cleansed. But don't refuse that opportunity. Because if you refuse and if you rebel, then God will leave you alone if you reject Him enough. And you may not get another chance. Now, preacher, you're just trying to scare me. Well, if that's what it takes... Others save with fear. Jesus came a light into the world, but those who reject him will walk in darkness. Those who refuse to reason together with him will be left to themselves. And only God knows when that is, but evidently there's a point. Because look at verses 37 through 41 again. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet believed, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. They refused to believe Jesus was their Messiah, despite all the proof to the contrary, all the miracles that he performed before their eyes. And as a result of their unwillingness to receive him, Jesus applies Isaiah's prophecy to them. Jesus is saying to them, you don't believe my report. Therefore, you can't believe. Is everybody picking this up? Therefore, you can't believe because you're not believing God. And because of that, God says, your eyes have been blinded. Your heart has been hardened so that now you can't see and now you can't understand that you might be converted and healed. Now, What's interesting to me about this discourse with Jesus and those there that day is he first directs their attention to Isaiah 53, what we know as Isaiah 53. Um, He he says in verse 38 there that um, Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, and then he quotes Isaiah 53 in verse 1. And for those who don't know, Isaiah chapter 53 is that great chapter which foretells of the Messiah's sufferings. And remember, they're looking at this going, how can the Messiah die? How can he be lifted up? And Jesus, the first thing he quotes is back there in Isaiah 53 in verse 1. And the Bible says there in verses 4 through 10, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not he his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin." As Jesus here in our text has been foretelling of his impending death, he then reminds them of Isaiah 53 where it was prophesied that the Messiah would be stricken. That he would be smitten, afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastised, scourged, oppressed, put to grief. But it also says that he'll be cut off. Jesus reminds them that Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53 still needed to be fulfilled. Then Jesus refers to Isaiah chapter 6 as applying to all of Israel and their rejection of Christ. They have blinded eyes. They have hardened hearts. They can't see with their eyes. Why? Because they had seen all the miracles and refused. They have hardened hearts because they were the ones who had received the word of God but refuse to walk in the light of his word. And while that prophecy applies directly to Israel, this is true of all mankind as well. We have the testimony of creation before our eyes. We have the light of God's word. But despite having creation as a testifier, we refuse to listen. Despite having the word of God, we refuse to listen. And as a result, many Gentiles also have blinded eyes and hardened hearts. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 through 30 say, Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated the knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Do you see the danger this morning of refusing to hear Christ? The danger in repeatedly rejecting Him, despite all the evidence to the contrary. It has everlasting consequences. There's only two possible destinations when you draw your last breath. There is no middle ground. There is no purgatory. It's either heaven or it's hell. Hebrews 10, 29 through 31 say, Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. 
For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Listen now. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I wonder how much time do you have left? I wonder how many opportunities do you have left? John 6.44 says, No man come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. The Bible teaches us that God draws us through his love. What is that love? Well, remember Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. If God draws in love and Jesus would draw as a result of him being lifted up, then obviously God's love is Jesus displayed on the cross. Everybody see that? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The cross is the message of God's love. And that's why Israel and the Muslims don't have it. Because Israel refuses to believe a Messiah would need to die for their sins. And Muslims refuse to believe that a prophet would need to die for their sins. But wait a minute, that's what the rest of the world is doing too. I only mentioned those two because of what I said earlier. But Buddhists don't see the need. Hindus don't see the need. Mormons add baptism and church membership. Jehovah's Witnesses don't even believe Christ is deity. Catholics add Mary as the way. Atheists don't see the need. Agnostics are dumb on purpose. That's what it means. Gnostic being knowledge. Put an A in front of it, it's the opposite. You purposefully don't want knowledge. If you're in here calling yourself an agnostic, please stop. Because you're just making yourself look stupid. Just go ahead and call yourself what you are. You're an atheist. All right, I'm getting in the flesh. I feel it. (laughs) It's only Jesus on the cross, period. God never added anything to Christ's sacrifice, and God will never take away anything from Christ's sacrifice. Jesus says dogmatically in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are you rejecting him? You say, well, I'll get saved later. Friend, you may not have later. Sad to say, but your life could end before the sun goes down. You need to prepare to meet thy God now before it's too late. I'll get saved later. Will you? Or will you reject Him to the point that your eyes become blinded and your hearts have become hardened? Hardened. 
This is why we see so few seniors coming to Christ. Well, I've lived 75 years with Adam. Why do I need him now? Your eyes are blinded and your heart's hardened. This is why we see far more young people getting saved. Because the older a person gets, the more blinded, the more hardened, the more bitter they become without Christ. Please don't harden your hearts any longer. Let me leave you with this warning from Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 12. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Listen now. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Is there anybody in here today that needs to take heed? Is there any in here in danger of not hearing the message any longer? Is there anybody in here that's becoming blinded with hard heart. God wants you to enter into his rest, but you must receive him as the one who was lifted up in your place for your sins. Please don't deny him any longer. Who is this son of man? He's your savior. He's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and he died for you. And I ask you this morning to seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let us pray. God, if there be one here right now that doesn't know you as their Savior, may this be the day that the scales would fall from their eyes. That you would take out that stony heart and replace it with a tender heart, a new heart. I ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.